Yeah, I promise not to be so dramatic with my final illustration. <coughs> Especially talking on fear. Um, can I thank you, by the way, for your prayers and your concern? Uh, it's, been it's been a strange experience, for, not so much for Maxine, but for me. When you've been in leadership in a church for about 60 years, and then you come into a church, and instead of being the kind of the family father, you are just a member of the family, it takes a bit of getting used to. And I think if it came home to me more than anything that Sunday was I'm a member of the family. Because suddenly I found myself surrounded by the members of the family, doctors, uh, ambulance drivers, I mean, from the, not who arrived, but from the church itself. And I just knew I was home. And it's great, isn't it, to be part of a family uh, and to know that God um, has put you there. And it's important for every one of us, isn't it? You feel, this is my home, as I said, this is my family, this is where God has placed me. <clears throat> if you've got your Bibles, will you please open them or your pads or whatever it is you use these days? <laughs> I'm, still in the, I'm still just with books. <clears throat> to one chronic, uh, two Chronicles, <clears throat> chapter 19 and 20. I'm not going to read anything from it now, but I shall be referring to it uh, quite a bit uh, as we go through it. I think most Christians think that the Christian life is really just generally steady progress. It's a kind of, um, uh, you're just kind of climbing a hill. And to many that may be true, but I think really um, that the Christian life is more like climbing a pyramid. It's steps that you take in your life. And every time you move to another level, it's a breakthrough moment. And that goes the same for churches as well. I look back on my life to the breakthrough moments. I mean, the vast majority of us here have had a breakthrough moment when we invited Jesus into our lives. That was a breakthrough. Even though I was very young, I knew I'd broken into something different. When I was 14... I was baptised in the Holy Spirit and I spoke with other tongues for the first time. That was a breakthrough moment. I knew I could worship like I'd never worshipped before. There was a freedom. I knew I could witness as I'd never witnessed before. Something happened. A new dimension came into my life and I broke through. I remember at 16, being in London and I was in a meeting and the speaker was a man by the name of George Jeffries, who had been a famous evangelist in this country in the 20s and 30s. And it was just a few months before he died. And I remember him challenging me as a 16-year-old to surrender my life to God. All of us. No, give your life to God. I remember the Holy Spirit kind of coming upon me. And I stood to my feet and I said, yes, Lord, everything. Not 99%, but you're going to have 100% of my life. And I knew something had changed. It was a breakthrough moment. I could mention others, but that's enough. Church breakthrough. You know, church breakthrough, you can all have all kinds of breakthroughs. You can have a sudden breakthrough of growth. I, um, you can have a breakthrough of culture, a breakthrough of tradition, a breakthrough of finance. 
But I also believe there are moments when a church has supernatural breakthroughs. And something supernatural happens. Um, I remember, I look back over the time when I was in the church for about 30 years. And I remember the breakthroughs we had. I remember the breakthrough of healing. We'd just invited the evangelists to come and take some special meetings. And, and suddenly we saw a breakthrough of divine healing. I saw more healings that week than I'd ever seen in my life. The blind eyes open, the, the dumb speaking, and, and, and God the deaf hearing, and God moved in a powerful way. I remember also another breakthrough some years later when we had a breakthrough amongst our young people. And we had 70 of our young people filled with the Holy Spirit in one week. And, and we started off with a youth meeting and we ended up on the Thursday with the whole church there all wanted to be in on it. And, and, and it was such a mighty move of God. A breakthrough. I remember breakthroughs of finance. I remember one Tuesday night we were told by the pastor we needed to pray. We had a big bill to pay. We were doing some building. And we had a big bill to pay the following day. And as a matter of kind, he didn't make it a big thing. He just said, oh, if, you, if you feel you want to give towards it, um, bring out and put it on the table or an IOU. And when the meeting had finished, the debt was paid. I don't know where it came from. We were just an ordinary bunch of people, about a third of the congregation, and the money came from, I don't know where it came from. I don't know if anybody else knew, but it, God broke through and met the need. Colin Dye, who's a leader of a very large church in London, says, an apostolic church is a breakthrough church. And I believe that every church needs to experience and understand what it means to have breakthrough. God's people have breakthrough. Crossing the Red Sea, crossing Jordan, Elijah on Carmel, the birth of Jesus, the day of Pentecost, Paul and Barnabas being sent out from Antioch. These were incredible breakthrough moments. And I wonder to what degree we are praying for that. And we're asking God for that. And we're believing God for that. Here in these chapters, we have, that I've mentioned to you, an incredible story. Josaphat was king of Israel. Now, if you know anything at all about the history of Israel, they had up and down moments. When they had good kings, they went up. When they had bad kings, they went down. <clears throat> and Josaphat was a, a godly man. And he became king of the nation. They began to turn the nation that had been away from God Back to God. He brought in all kinds of reforms all over the country. But three of Israel's enemies, enemies, by the way, who God had told Israel when they were coming to take Canaan not to in any way touch, they ganged up. And they decided here was an opportunity to come against Israel, to attack them and to destroy them. And Jehoshaphat has to go to God. And they had an incredible breakthrough. I mean, they defeat. Well, they actually didn't defeat. God defeated them. He did it all. They didn't have to do the defeat. And all they had to do when they arrived on the battlefield was to take the spoils home. And it took them three days to do it. Because they destroyed each other in the end. A breakthrough moment. Now, the interesting thing to me is, as I look at this, I see... Five requirements for breakthrough. You know, <clears throat> some people think that revival and breakthrough is, um, you know, all you do is just wait and God suddenly breaks through. That is not true. 
Breakthrough is something that happens because God's people are doing certain things. It may not be dramatic what they're doing, but they're doing it. And because they're doing it, God says, I'm going to do something for them. And he breaks through upon them. What did they do? Well, I haven't got time because um, uh, there's quite a lot here I want to say. But if you read chapter 19, you will see that Jehoshaphat, he prepares the people. Even before they came, these armies came against them, he didn't know this was going to happen. But what he done was, he prepared the people. He started to go through the nation. And you know, friends, if we want to experience breakthrough, you know, we're praying, we're saying, God, wouldn't it be great one Sunday if we came in and suddenly the power of God at the place and all the people round about started running to the place to find out what was going on. And we saw people being healed and people being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was just a supernatural breakthrough. But friends, if we want that to happen, we've got to be ready for it. Because I want to tell you, if God's power comes upon our lives, the problem is it tends to kind of show things up a little bit. And, 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 and you, you, feel, you feel just not adequate. And, and, and the best thing to do is to, is to get prepared for it. Um, one of our old pastors said this one day, he said, you cannot fight and eat at the same time. So he said, you must eat first and then fight. And, and, and that's the same with God. If you want God to work, and if you want God to move, you have to prepare correctly. You know, President Johnson stayed overnight at the Chicago Hilton Hotel. And when they heard that President Johnson was coming, they didn't ask him what he needed for breakfast. They decided to get everything prepared. At four o'clock in the morning, two of their special chefs arrived, and a breakfast menu was prepared around their talents. It was the most incredible breakfast that anybody could imagine. President Johnson came down and they said, Sir, here's the menu. What would you like for breakfast? He said, cornflakes and coffee. <laughs> and all the preparation had been to no point at all because they hadn't thought it through. They hadn't asked. And we need to ask God, what do we need to do? What do we need to, how can we prepare? In verse 3, it says this in chapter 19. God says, nevertheless, to Joseph, good things are found in you in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and prepared your heart to seek God. There had been a removal of idols. Friends, if God's going to be worshipped, he's got to be number one. And, and we talk these days about, well, we don't, we're not idolaters, but you know, we have our idols. They could be all kinds of things. They could be money. They can be career. They can be pastimes. They can be friends. You know, these things in themselves are not wrong, but when they come before God, they're an idol. He always has to be first. One of our great uh, young evangelists, it was always a blessing to our church, he played the banjo whenever he led worship. And he was brilliant. I mean, he could, lead, he could play the banjo and he could get the place rocking. One day, God said to him, I want you to give the banjo away. Yes, amen. And he'd had that... <laughs> he'd had the banjo, be careful. He'd, he'd had the banjo for years. And he, but this was, it was just his banjo. He played it, you know, and, and he wrestled with it. In the end, he knew somebody that was desperately wanting one, and he gave it away. And he said, 
I really had to battle with that. But I suddenly realized that banjo had become a little bit of an idol. By the way, guys, <laughs> God gave him a brand new one far better. <laughs> but that one thing, that one thing had become an idol. Friends, if we want God to work and break through, we've got to remove idols. He must be number one. He also prepared the hearts of the people ready to meet God. It says in verse 4, So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. What a king. He travelled the country, encouraging the people to get back to God, encouraging the people to get right with God. Encouraging the people to, to get things out of their lives that need to be got out. I remember uh, <clears throat> I mentioned the, the guy who said that about five meetings. His name was David Power. He was a great big monster of a guy. He used to come to our youth meetings to preach. And he was one of these guys that when he preached, he always hit the button, you know. And he was, he was also one of these guys that kind of look around as you were, you know, you, you felt he was looking at, right into your heart and... And I know that all of our young people, we, we, when we knew he was coming, we all got right with God. We thought, we'll we get ready just in case. And, and there's something about that. We need to get right with God. We need to get our hearts right. Because God wants to pour into our lives his presence, his power, his blessing. And if our hearts are not right, we cannot be filled because there's other things in the way. Let me say also, there has to be a preparation of leadership. It says in verses 5 to 9, he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities and he told them how they were to do their job and they were to do it righteously. They were to lead with wisdom. And let me say this, you know, in every breakthrough, before the breakthrough, we need God to raise up leaders. Can you imagine what would happen if suddenly one Sunday night our numbers doubled? One Sunday morning, our numbers doubled. We had Maybe we've got 150 here, 200 people. Can you imagine what would happen if one Sunday morning 150 people came to the Lord? We'd need, a, we'd, need a, we'd need at least 10 more small group leaders to look after them. And, and what happens is God starts to work. God starts to move in, 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 in people's lives. You know, pick up any newspaper and you'll realize that every big organization rises or falls on its leadership. And, and in every situation, we need God to be preparing people. We need to be coming to God and saying, Lord, what can I do? Can I lead in worship? Can I lead in evangelism, in service, in sacrifice, in giving, in small groups, in prayer? Is there a, is there a place in the church where I can take some responsibility? And God, he prepares leaders. The second thing you find in the next, in chapter 20 and verses 1 to 13, prayer. You know, it's interesting if you study any revival, you will find that there were praying people at, behind it all. There were people that were seeking God. The Hebrides revival that swept the Hebrides and, and, and the, it was as if the whole island was in church. God moved. You know how it started? Two little old ladies started to pray. And, and it was said that weeks before, people began to go to this house because they felt the presence of God. In fact, they said just before the revival broke out, it, it seemed as if there was a cloud of God's presence over the house. And then suddenly God began to move. Because two 
people gave themselves to prayer day in, day out, for over a year before that revival took place. And, and Yongli Cho, he talks about how he's been to Japan and he's preached there and he doesn't get results. And yet when J J the Japanese people come to Korea, South Korea, they get saved. Scores of them. He said, what's the answer? He said, because in South Korea, people pray. They have prayer meetings all the time. They have, they have prayer meetings. Um, uh, have a, they even got a prayer mountain where people go up and spend days in prayer and, and fasting. Prayer is important for breakthrough. It was intense prayer. It says, And Joshua, Joshua feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast. They cried out to God. And friends, we, we need to have prayer that's intense. I remember when I went to Colombia to the church in Bogota that had grown from 20,000 to 120,000 in 12 months. I, went, I, I didn't get to the 5 o'clock prayer meeting. I must admit, I must be honest, I didn't get up early enough. We got up at 4 o'clock as it was to get to the 6 o'clock one. But I got to the 6 o'clock prayer meeting. Two or 3,000 people. There were, there were 2,000, by the way, we saw going out from the 5 o'clock one. And as we went out at 7 o'clock, there was another two or 3,000 coming in for a 7 o'clock one. And then they went out and there was, another, there was even 4,000 in for the 8 o'clock one. Every morning, Monday to Friday, there were four prayer meetings every morning with thousands upon thousands of people. And you should have heard them pray. I mean, did they go for it? Talk about passion. It, it was just incredible to be in it. One of the great men who wrote about prayer, he said, prayer must be red hot. It is fervent prayer that is effectual and succeeds. And friends, we need intense prayer. We need to get before God and cry out to him if we want to see breakthrough. It was honest prayer. I mean, the, the king, he, 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 he was quite honest. He, he told God what a, what a mess they were. He told God what a dishonest lot they were. He told God what a backslidden nation they were. He, he was honest. And friends, Nothing wrong with being honest. I remember one of our camps, we used to have a guy who used to come to our camp, and he, he was, he was a, a guy that had some learning problems. And he used to get up and said, well, God, here we are this morning. Good to be here, you know, Lord. He said, you know, Father. He said, um, some of us don't feel so good this morning, but we'll be all right, Lord. And, and he used to talk like that. And, you know, it, it, he used to bless the socks off everybody. Well, he'd finished the prayer and he took off because he was just so honest and so simple. Friends, we need honest prayer. But it was united prayer. It says in verse 13, Now all Judah, with their little ones, interestingly, their little ones, their wives and their children, stood before the Lord. And you know, friends, there is something about coming together as a church and praying. I, I love <clears throat> our Tuesday night bo boiler room. You know, it, it's good. Let me commend the church, by the way. There are not many churches that can get 50 or 60 people out for a prayer meeting. But I'd love to see 100 and 150 people there. Where, as a church, we come together and, and unitedly we cry out to God. You know, the, the revival that swept through one city in South America, it, it happened after the churches got together to pray. And what they did was once a week they had an all-night prayer meeting and they hired a stadium and 20,000 people used to turn up to pray all night. 
And it was quite a remarkable prayer meeting. And it was no wonder that God absolutely tried. It was, it was one of the cities in South America that had been ruled by drug barons. And within a few months, the whole thing was wiped out. They were all taken prisoner uh, uh, by, the, by the authorities. And, and the whole drug problem was sorted out in the city. And the city had an incredible revival. Wouldn't that be great for Portsmouth? If this, this city was shaken, it comes. We have those kind of breakthroughs when people pray, when people seek God. Verses 14 to 17, you find out there was, there was a prophet. They were praying. They were saying, God, what should we do? All these people coming against us. What should we do? And suddenly, God's man stands up. And there comes a prophetic word. And God starts to speak in a powerful way. Can I say, friends, we need to hear the prophetic voice of God. We need to hear people in the church that know what God is saying and say what God is saying. And let me say something, just to help you on this. We need to hear God as individuals as well. You know, some prophecies that God gives us are not for the church, they're for us. Some prophecies are for us to give to individuals. Everything God tells us, we haven't got to make it public, you know. Only if we know it's something public that God has spoken to us. The Bible says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. There's a difference, you know, between a little word and a supernatural prophetic word. And we need to understand that. I want to hear the prophetic word. I want to hear God speak that when he spoke, the whole meeting's filled with awe. That the whole atmosphere of the, of the meeting goes up another level. And, 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 and friends, that's what true supernatural prophecy is. Prophecy doesn't dampen a meeting, it lifts a meeting up. It does something powerful. And I want to say, friends, we have the word of God. The world doesn't. We have the word of God. We, God knows what is happening in our nation, in our city, in this community. And we need to hear from him. It needs to be anointed. It says, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel in the midst of the assembly, and he said. And, and it was obvious that one who was writing, they sensed it also, that the power of God came upon him. Jeremiah says, I will not make mention of him, nor speak his name anymore. In other words, he'd had enough. And then he goes on to say, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut in my bones. And I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. And he carried on with the prophecy. You know, we, we need that anointing. If you feel you've got a word from God, ask God to anoint it. Ask God to make it powerful. And by the way, can I say, keep it short. You know, often I hear a word, I hear somebody come and they give a word, then they repeat it. And I thought, we've already said that. Shut up, sit down, you've said it. Let God do the rest. Or they give a kind of a, a little... Um, mini sermon on what God has said. Listen, all you've got to do, if, if you're bringing a prophetic, if you're preaching, that's different. But if you're bringing a prophetic word, bring the prophetic word, then sit down and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. You haven't got to explain it. The Holy Spirit will explain it. Just say what you feel God is saying. And you know, so often I, not here, of course, I'm talking about you know, Honolulu and places like that. Where, but I, I, I've been in churches, you know, and, and somebody comes up and I know they've got a word from the Lord, but then they carry on. And they carry on, and you can just feel the atmosphere going down. The, the meeting lifts when they start, 
and then the meeting starts to go down. Why? Because we haven't learned just to go with the anointing, just to go with what God is saying. Keep it short. It was encouraging. It says, you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I want to say, friends, when the word of God comes, it's always encouraging. It always lifts you up. It always makes you feel that much better. And I don't know about you, but I come to church some mornings and I need a bit of encouraging, don't you? You need somebody to kind of say something that kind of lifts you up. But that's what the prophetic word will do. But also, for this particular time, it was very directional. He told them exactly what to do. Now, here we come to a problem because... We need to understand that there are times when we need to hear the directional word of God. There will be times when God will speak. But here's the thing. Be careful. It's very interesting in the Bible that sometimes, like Agabus in the, in the New Testament, he said, Paul, you're going to be bound in chains. Then he said, don't go. And Paul said, be quiet. He said, I know I'm going to be bound in chains. You're simply confirming what I know. But I know God has told me to go. And what the prophet did was, he went beyond his, his remit. And it's so, if, if, if you feel that God is saying something that is directional, say it, then leave it with the Lord. Leave people to find out and clarify it with the Lord themselves. We're not dictators. We're just bringing God's word to people's hearts so that they can be led. But there was the prophetic word. And here we come back to another one. And you've heard me say this so many times and everybody else say it, but it's there. There was praise and worship. I mean, the interesting thing is about these people, they praised and worshipped God before the battle, during the battle, and after the battle. They didn't wait for something incredible to happen before they got excited. They got excited and they started to worship God. I heard somebody overheard this and said, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he hasn't stirred since. Think about it. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he hasn't stirred since. Let me tell you something, friends. When you were filled with the Holy Spirit, when you were saved, you were given a mouth and a voice to praise God. Have you used it since? Have you stirred it since? Have you exercised it since? You see... There's something about praise and worship that I, it, it does something to God, you know. It, when people praise God when they don't feel like it and bring what the psalm says, a sacrifice of praise, God gets excited. Do you know you like that? God gets excited. And he loves to bless people. He loves to pour out his spirit upon them. He, he, he loves to come upon them. And friends, if we want to see breakthrough... We need to start learning to worship God. It was humble worship. It says, Jehoshaphat bowed his head and worshipped God. Their eyes are on God. Not on how great they were with their songs and their music and everything else. All they were concerned about, God get the glory. God get the glory. And friends, we've got a wonderful God, haven't we? He spoke and he set the stars in place. He came and lived amongst us. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He is a great God, and he's just the same today as he was then. And friends, we have a mighty and a powerful God. We have a God to get excited about. It was hearty praise and worship. It says they stood up and their voices were loud and high in verses 19. You know, I saw 
recently, I turned on the TV onto one of the um, uh, music channels, uh, um, one of the Sky channels, and it was, a, it was a concert in tribute of the life of Freddie Mercury. And you should have heard the noise and the shouts every time one of his songs. And the people, there were tens of thousands, they were screaming the place down. And I thought, I don't understand this. These people can get excited about Freddie Mercury. How come we can't get just as excited about God? It was hearty. And friends, this, we need passion. We need to get excited. We need to make the place rock. Why not? Because we have a great God. And it was holy praise and worship. It says, when he had consulted the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who should praise in the beauty of holiness as they went before the army. I don't know about you, friends, but I tried to prepare my heart every Sunday morning before I came. Why? Because I want to be able to worship God. I want to worship him from a clean and a pure heart. Now, I know this thing. The moment I say, Lord, forgive me, I'm forgiven, I'm ready. Because he's such a gracious God. But last of all, there was positioning. It says in verse 20, so they rose up early in the morning, went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, and as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. Guess what? The only people that saw the Red Sea part were the people that were there when it happened. The only people that saw the fire come down on Mount Carmel were the people that were there when it happened. The only people that saw Jesus heal the sick were the people that were there, not the whole country, but the people that were there when it happened. And every revival and every time God has moved, who has he moved upon? The people that were there have positioned themselves for it to happen. Are you positioning yourself for breakthrough? Are you saying to the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to be doing? So that I'm, when you pour out your spirit, I'm not going to be kind of, I'm going to be taken back with awe and wonder of what you're doing. But in one sense, <coughs> I won't be totally surprised. Why? Because I'm positioning myself. I'm putting myself in the place where you, will, where you will move. Can you imagine one Sunday morning, God giving us a breakthrough and you weren't there. And everybody comes home and tells you, they all goes on there. Do you know what happened on Sunday morning? And you'll be kicking yourself. That's why I never miss a Sunday. Just in case. I want to be there when something happens. I don't want to miss it. And friends, if we want to be in the place where God is doing something special, we need to be positioning ourselves. It was focused position. It said they rose up early and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. They weren't wandering around wondering what to do. They knew what to do. They positioned themselves. They got exactly in the place where they should be. It was fearless positioning. He says Jehoshaphat stood. I like that. Friends, we've got nothing to be afraid of, even when the devil's throwing everything at us. And remember, there were three armies coming against them. They were outnumbered. They were in a hopeless position. But he stood. 
And friends, we might be the minority at this moment, even in Somersham, because there are 20,000 people here, and 200 ain't a lot. 10% is, is 2,000. I don't know about you, I'd like to win 10% of Somersham just as a minimum. That means we'd have 10,000 in our church. And friends, what, uh, uh, you know, are, are, are we believing God for that? For just, just for that, for 2,000. Just for the 10%. And, and friends, we need to be fearless. We need to be believing God for great things. I've got illustrations here, but I haven't got time. There was faith positioning. Jehoshaphat said, Hear, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. One thing to hear the prophet. It's one thing to hear sermons like this and to see it in the word of God. Do we believe it? How do we come on Sunday mornings? Oh, I've got to get up this morning, go to church. Or do we come walking through those doors saying, Lord, I'm ready. What are you going to do this morning? I'm believing you for something. I'm wanting you to do something. And you're positioning yourself. You're seeing, you know, you're believing in the God. A God who's spoken in the seas, fish sprang forth. A God who spoke to the earth and plants and animals appeared. God who spoke to himself. A man came forward in his own likeness. Friends, we have a great God who can do incredible things. But are we in the right place at the right time for that to happen? John Oakes, a musician, was playing at Starbucks at 51 on Broadway. He was playing a variety of tunes with his partner. He noticed a woman singing with them and asked her to choose another song. And this woman said to him, she said, um, do you think you could Sing a hymn. So everybody kind of looked intently on him. And the only hymn he could sing, remember, was, his eye is on the sparrow. And the, the, the last line goes, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For God's eye is on the sparrow, and he watches over me. And he began to sing that song. And as he did, the woman broke down. And he looked towards her and he said, what's the trouble? He said, it's, and she said, it's funny you picked that hymn. It was my daughter's favorite. She was 16. She died last week of a brain tumor. I'm going to be okay. Now I've heard that song again. A man in the right place at the right time. And God did something great. You know, sometimes it can be small things, not just big things. And you're in the right place and God can do wonderful things. Position him. Very quickly, what, the, what were the results? Well, that's what chapter 20 was about. There was an incredible victory. There was a glorious victory. I mean, they didn't even have to do anything. All they did was get there and stand, and they were fighting amongst themselves, and they waited till they killed them all off, and they went down and got the spoils. And they had an incredible victory. And I want to tell you, friends, you can have breakthrough. And in the area of your life where you're feeling most attacked, you can experience breakthrough. If you will do what God wants you to do. There was generous provision. It says they, they stripped off all the jewelry and all the stuff that was left. And it took them three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Friends, I said to Gareth, I said, to Gareth, I said wouldn't it be great if we just raised a, a quarter of a million just as a kind of the first target for the building fund? Wouldn't that be good? And... We both looked at each other as if to say, yeah, it would be good, you know. <laughs> but, you know, 
God has, God has incredible ways. I have a friend who runs a church uh, near London. And a new guy joined the church. And he said, you know, God's spoken to me. I need to bring a tithe. I've just done a big business deal. And in one day I made a million pounds. Here's 100,000 for the church. Now that's the kind of tithing I like. <laughs> I don't know about you. But you know, God can do it. God can provide. I know churches where God has provided for, for a few hundred people, millions of pounds. And God can do it. There can be a breakthrough in finance. I mean, in the Bible, when Moses was collecting to build the tabernacle, there came a point when he said to the people, let's stop giving. Well, I've got too much. I, can you imagine a day when Gareth come and stand for Look, he said, we won't take up an offering for the next three weeks. We've got so much money, we don't know what to do with it. But it happened in the Bible. God can do it. There was grateful joy as they returned every man. And as they came to Jerusalem, they, they sung there, they sung and they with great joy. They blew their trumpets, played their harps. There was incredible joy in the place. And you know, when there's breakthrough, there can, there's, there can be such joy. You know, I'm, I'm longing for the day when, this, when everybody shouts hallelujah as loud as they shout when England scored the one goal that they did score <laughs> during the World Cup. But you know, friends, when God does something in your heart, I tell you, when there's breakthrough, you've got to shout. You can't keep it quiet. You have to praise God. But there was great fear. It says, for the fear of God was on the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Can you imagine God moving in such a powerful way that the fear of God comes upon the whole of Summer's Town? There's a sense of awe. Friends, these are the kind of breakthroughs that God can give. And then it says, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his people gave him rest all around. Do you know, suddenly there was a moment when there was peace. Don't you long for those moments when, when uh, there's a break. There's no more battles for a moment. There's a bit of sense of, of a breakthrough and there's a sense of peace. Friends, I believe God wants to do something tremendous. He wants to see us to be breakthrough people, just like David, Daniel, Samson, Gideon, Peter, Paul, Esther, Mary. These were all people that were not perfect, very ordinary people. But because they obeyed God, God gave them breakthrough. On a Friday in September in 1857, four, note this young people, young teenagers, met together and started a weekly prayer meeting in a village hall near in, in Cowes in Ireland, not far from Balamere in Northern Ireland. The meeting is generally regarded as the key to revival that swept 100,000 people into the kingdom of God in a matter of weeks. It was so incredible that amazing things began to happen. On a crowded market day, a man of about 30 years of age suddenly fell to his knees and began to cry out aloud. An alarmed crowd gathered round him, wanted to know what had happened. And finally, after 20 minutes, his, some friends managed to get him away. And he was shouting at the top of his voice, unclean, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And it so affected that town within two weeks there were thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ. In one large school, while in class, a young boy in class came under conviction of sin. And he came, got so convicted 
um, that the teacher asked another boy who had just become a Christian to take him out of the class. This boy led the other boy to become a Christian. So the boy came back to the class and told the class what had happened and what happened to him, how he felt he was so sinful he needed Jesus and he invited Jesus to come into his life. As the class listened, one by one, the whole class eventually went out. And when the teacher was left with nobody in the class, he thought he'd better go and find out where his class was. He went into the playground and he found them all over the playground on their knees crying out to God and asking God to save them. It so affected, the noise so affected that in the end the rest of the school came out and the next door girls' school heard it and they started and they had to call in every minister in town to come and counsel and help them and the school finished at 11 o'clock that night and practically every young person became a Christian because God broke through and God moved. Friends, are you ready for breakthrough? Are you? I believe God wants to give us personal breakthroughs. I also believe God wants us to be a church of breakthrough, where we see breakthrough. Are we prepared to do the things that God has called us to do? To pray, to prepare, to position ourselves, to praise and to worship, and do what's necessary. I believe if we are, we are going to see some incredible things. and God is going to move amongst us.